Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So today I want to take some time to talk about a news item that has kind of flown under the radar of mainstream media. Not to say that they aren't talking about it, that they haven't reported on it, but but certainly I think is not on the forefront of many Americans' minds. And, and what I'm talking about is the flooding that, that has recently and is currently occurring in the Midwest of the United States. I'm talking about states like Nebraska, states along the Missouri River, as well as some along the Mississippi River, and the damage that it has done to uh, agriculture and and farmers, whether it's livestock, pasture land, uh, or uh, uh, land that is used to, to grow some sort of a crop. And, and I want to talk about some of the economic implications of this, but I also want to talk, I want to make this a broader conversation about the effect that natural disasters have on the economy, have on the nation or the, the world's finances, as well as uh, what, how can we relate this to precious metals in some ways. But I want to start off with this flooding in, in the Midwest. Now, you know, as I speak, there's actually a, another storm that's bearing down on the Midwest, in fact, in my neck of the woods, uh, northern Minnesota, we're forecast for something like 12 to 18 inches of snow. Ridiculous for, you know, basically the middle of April, and yet it's <laughs> it's, it's by no means are, are we a stranger to these April uh, heavy snowfalls. But uh, in other parts of Minnesota, we're talking, you know, potentially up to, to two feet or more of snow in parts of Minnesota, South Dakota, etc. Many of these states along the Missouri River or states that have already been dealing with flooding. Some of these might be be more so receiving rainfall than they will be snow. But but the big takeaway is that the, after dealing with probably over a month's worth of, of pretty significant flooding, there's going to be this new round of, of moisture that's only going to exacerbate the issues. Um, I think CBS put the estimate of the damage thus far at a billion dollars, which is a lot of money. Now, when you compare it to something like the damage of a hurricane or, or something like that, uh, a major earthquake, it looks pretty small. But I think it's important to understand who it is that's being affected by this. Uh, largely, as I said before, it's farmers. And, and I'm sure that farmers in the Midwest or elsewhere that are listening to this program understand what I mean when I say that it's, you know, I, I feel like the, the farming sector, the agricultural sector of, of the U.S. economy is, is slowly moving into two camps. Maybe it's been in two camps for quite some time now. Um, the, the small farmer, whether it's a family farmer, what have you, certainly maybe not as small as farms used to be back in the day, but certainly smaller than the ones that are now today run by the other camp, and that is the large companies. Now, to, to survive an event like this that may uh, damage or, or, you know, basically kill a large amount of livestock or, or ruin a certain amount of pasture land or, or cropland for a significant amount of time, uh, uh, cut into your total yield for, for this year. Uh, to survive something like that, you need to have access to credit. You need to be in a decent financial position. You need to be able to spread these losses out. Basically, uh, you need to have things that most uh, smaller farms in the Midwest I'd say a lot, do not have. Many of these are already on the on the verge of bankruptcy. They're already struggling. And this is really going to be a double whammy. Now, you know, in years to come, can, can corporate uh, America, corporate uh, farmers make up that slack? Oh, sure. I mean, they can. But the damage to these individual farmers, to these smaller communities and whatnot, I don't think that can be uh, overstated. Uh, this is, I think, going to you know, further contribute to this this. Um, 
this change that we've seen in, in the last couple decades. Uh, as I said already, many of these are, are again, I think Nebraska, uh, uh, in Nebraska alone, let's see here, um, CBS was talking about the amount uh, that the, of individuals that are already uh, on the brink of, of bankruptcies. Um, and, and this is only going to contribute to that, you know, regardless of what type of, of farming they're, they're going to be. Let's see here. Uh, this quote, many Nebraska farmers are already at a disadvantage because they're close to the financial breaking point. According to former North Dakota Democratic Senator Heidi Heitkamp, there are, quote, record bankruptcies in the farming country of the upper Midwest. These farmers are already reeling from setbacks, including a tariff war. Won't get into that today. As other nations respond to higher U.S. tariffs with tariffs of their own on imported U.S. agricultural products. They're already dealing with a lot of economic problems that I think are, are, are yes, affecting the larger uh, 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 companies that, that are farming, but again, they have the resources, they have the access to credit, etc., that can help them, you know, weather this storm, no pun intended. So that's a serious problem. Now, already I think you're seeing it somewhat, uh, according to some of these articles I'm reading, in things like like uh, meat, the price of meat, because this is kind of an instant um, effect that is happening on the meat prices. Basically, uh, livestock is killed or it can't make it to, to the market. And prices go up because supply has decreased. Now, what will be interesting is how we see this impact other uh, uh, commodities, whether it be corn, uh, soybean, etc. going forward. Uh, now, I'm not a farmer. I have no agricultural background. And I don't know exactly, you know, how much flooding is too much to, to basically, you know, really impact or, or impede the ability to, to farm. Um, acreage uh, for for the summer growing season. I don't know exactly what the answer is. I'm sure it's variable throughout these different uh, 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 flood regions and and based on the crop as well. But you know it'll be interesting to see how it affects that as well. Now keep in mind we're we're you know I think the estimate that I saw uh, a couple weeks ago was something like a million acres. Uh, today that number is probably higher of of total farmland that's been affected by this flooding. In the whole scheme of things, that's a pretty small percentage of total farmland in the United States. But you have to remember that this is some of the um, maybe most productive farmland in the United States. And uh, you also have to understand that even uh, the, the damage to that amount of farmland can have implications throughout the wider market. Now, I want to talk about, uh, I think, how this will affect the economy. Now, obviously, for these individual states, this is not good for their economy. It's not. You know, if you go into, to, I mean, we, 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 it, it's funny. When you see a hurricane hit a state, hit Florida or the Carolinas or something, uh, on the ground, what you see is you see people whose houses have been destroyed, they've been flooded, they've had significant property damage, damage to their cars, etc. And you ask them, you know, was this good for the local economy? Was this good for you personally? And invariably, I think their answer is going to be no. Even if they have some form of insurance, right? Their answer is going to be no. And yet, economists... Uh, the, the elite variety, oftentimes will say that these types of natural disasters are good for the economy because of all the spending it causes, uh, that, that it induces. Now, if you go to somewhere like South Dakota or Nebraska or somewhere in the upper Midwest that's dealing with this flooding and you go out there with that argument, well, think about all the spending that is going to go into to, um, you know, restocking their livestock or, or, or uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera, the, the amount of uh, credit that will have to be created, the amount of debt that will have to be taken on for these farms to survive another year. 
you're you're not going to make any friends i think in a lot of these communities it's such a silly argument you know the broken window fallacy that by breaking a window you're improving the economy because then that 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 uh you know window has to be repaired and that means uh business for for the window salesman and the window manufacturer and the glass manufacturer it's a silly argument right and yet you see it time and time again and and you know over the short term you might see it reflected as just that that you know when, when you have a coastal community hit by a hurricane you see what would appear to be higher gdp what you're really seeing is just more spending spending that could have been uh, uh saved in many cases or spent on something else or it's just debt creation right uh people people are already um uh saturated in debt and now or saturated, uh, they, they have very little savings, already have quite a bit of debt. Now they have to take on more debt to, to repair their house or to, to you know, otherwise make repairs. It's really a silly argument. But, you know, I think that the effect in the economy cannot be understated. And, and, and you know, I talk about the economy a lot on this, on this uh, channel. And, you know, when we put it in dollar terms, the amount of damage that is caused by these, these natural disasters, um, I think it's important to think about it short term that, yes, you can see a, an increase in the GDP. I don't think that's economic health. That's just an increase in the GDP. But long term, when you put this in dollar terms, uh, I see it as sort of a, a hastening of the, the collapse of the current uh, uh, you know paradigm, the current system. So what am I talking about here? You know, you can look at a um, at a storm like Florence, Hurricane Florence, which hit the uh, what Carolinas, the the East Coast, Southeast Coast, uh, and, and and other states uh, in, in the latter part of 2018. Now, the Wall Street Journal, this was, uh, let's see here, when was this written? Um, September 21st, 2018, so shortly after the hurricane, I believe. Uh, they estimated the cost, that it, this was from Moody's. Um, Moody's pegs Florence's economic cost at 38 to $50 billion. That's a lot of money. And where is that money coming from? Again, it's coming from savings. It's coming from debt creation, which ultimately has to be paid at paid back. Or it comes from the government, right? The state government, local government, or the federal government. That's common practice for states or federal governments to um, offer some relief for these types of uh, uh, flooding victims. Which I, I get it, but it's again adding to the national debt, state debt, or consumer debt. Either way, it's debt that has to be paid back. It is an impedance to the economy long term. You look at Hurricane Michael. Hurricane Michael was also in the second half of 2018. According to Wikipedia, Hurricane Michael caused an estimated $25.1 billion in 2018 U.S. dollars. 25.1 plus $100 million in economic losses in Central America. Uh, that's... That's a serious chunk of change. Now, part of this was actually damage to the Tyndall Air Force Base, right? We maybe saw those pictures from back then of the uh, F-22s that that were uh, most likely unable to leave the base because they weren't um, fly in flyable condition uh, uh, that were potentially damaged by this. $6 billion just to the Tyndall Air Force Base, right? That's, that's I don't even know if they're opening that Air Force Base again. Um, I think they actually moved a lot of this stuff to, to Eglin or somewhere else. Um, Either way, it's going to be quite a bit of a cost to the U.S. government. That's a lost asset that they either have lost for good or they're going to replace one way or another. This is a serious cost to the U.S. economy. We're talking billions and billions of dollars. And I think it really, again, hastens the, the eventual collapse of the system. Now, finally, I want to talk about the, the effect that it has on precious metals. Part of this is because of an email that I received uh, last week, I believe, um, from a viewer asking, you know, 
in the case of volcanoes, which is what he was talking about, you know, what type of an effect would that have potentially on the uh, precious metal space? Title, uh, email title, silver natural disaster. This is, um, he's basically saying natural disaster is not a new thing. They've happened long before people and will continue forever until the end of time. We keep talking about the political and scandal effects on gold and silver prices. This is an understatement. We also, we're also on the tail end of the largest global manipulation scheme that humanity has ever seen. And then he goes on to say, you remember the the eruption in Iceland in 2010, um, actually the smaller of two volcanoes, the larger neighboring one is is actually um, uh, had erupted in the past and, and partially caused the events that led to the French Revolution. And he goes on and on about, you know, uh, volcanoes. Now, I want to extend this beyond volcanoes. Yes, volcanoes are, are you know, up there on, on, on in terms of the black swan of all black swans, right? If we have a major volcanic eruption, the effect that that would have on the global economy. But but even, you know, you, you talk about these other ones like like earthquakes, like the earthquake and uh, in, in, in tsunami in Japan in 2011. It actually happened in March of 2011. March 11th, I think it was. Um, and, and now there was a lot of other things going on in the market at that time. Uh, at that point in time, but you know, I'll remind you that it was you know late April, in which silver made its its a uh, you know kind of high for this, sorry high for the cycle. Um, now after the earthquake, silver was mostly staying steady between thirty five uh, thirty four and thirty six, maybe a little higher, a little lower at points. This is from Kitco, by the way. But you know, by the end of March, it was moving up to to around thirty eight bucks an ounce, maybe just shy of that. And by the end of April, it was over forty eight dollars an ounce. Right, and so was that related to the uh, Japanese earthquake? I'm I'm sure maybe it played some role in that, uh, but but the bigger picture here is is uh, two twofold. First of all, as I said before, when it comes to hurricanes, earthquakes, uh, tsunamis, volcanoes, flooding, etc., it's an economic cost on the consumer, on the corporations, local governments, and national governments. Somebody's got to pay for that, right? But, but second of all, it's also the, the demand for metals, especially silver. So, so you see what happens in, in Japan, the damages that, that occurred as a result of that earthquake, or the, the damages that occurred in, in, in places like the Carolinas or, or Florida or elsewhere where, where Hurricane Michael hit. We're talking about downed power lines. We're talking about uh, damaged or destroyed houses and various other buildings, infrastructure damage. The cars that were flooded and, and many of which were, were then probably scrapped or, or sold at a reduced price, but now you have demand for new cars. All of it creates demand. Now, yes, that's a that's an economic cost, but it also creates demand for silver. Um, now, it's very difficult to quantify that. But you know, again, if you're talking about 20, uh, what was it, 38 to $50 billion in the case of Hurricane Florence, how much of that was silver? Pretty, probably a pretty small amount, right? In the millions, not not in the billions, probably. But again, it's it's not negligible. It's it's something you have to pay attention to, and it does, I think, increase uh, demand for that type of stuff. But um, you know, in the whole scheme of things, I'm not going to say that it is you know what uh, helps push silver and gold higher. Um, however, you you could look for for one of these types of events to ultimately bring down an economy, um, and thus uh, uh, really expose the fiat scheme for what it is for for um, Helping you know free silver and gold of manipulation to to increase the demand for it, et cetera, et cetera. But you know in the whole scheme of things, um, 
A, you know, natural disasters are really not good for the livelihood of the people that are affected by them. And B, I'd much rather it happen by other natural circumstances, like the laws of, of economics and whatnot. Because if you have a natural disaster, you know, you, you look at the French Revolution that this guy is emailing me about. Now, I, I'd never heard of this before. Maybe it did play a role in it. But the French Revolution had some very solid, concrete reasons for why it happened. I don't want this next... Uh, collapse to be blamed on a major earthquake or a solar flare or something like that. No, I want it to be blamed for the root causes, the, the problems with central banking, uh, a bloated government, money printing, fiat currency, etc. Crazy experiments conducted by the federal government and by the Federal Reserve, other governments and other central banks. Because that's really what should bear the brunt of the blame, not uh, natural disasters. Those just contribute to the problems. A healthy economy should be able to to deal with these. Maybe not like a full-blown solar flare that, that wipes out the entire power grid, but certainly a hurricane. Um, we should be able to, quote-unquote, weather that. Uh, no pun intended. But as always, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this video down below in the comment section. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for watching this video, listening to this podcast, and God bless.